this morning, both members and visitors alike. We thank you for your time this morning and your presence, and we praise our God. In a moment, we're going to go to our great God in a word of prayer. Let's pray, please. Magnificent God in heaven, hallowed be your great and amazing name. We praise you. We love you. We thank you. We're thankful to you for Jesus, your great son, in whom you so willingly sent to die on that cruel, cruel cross of Calvary. Lord God, how can we ever think of the cross without, without thinking about your restraint? The fact that you had to restrain not only yourself, the Godhead, but even the angelic realm as your son was ill-treated and crucified in our behalf. But you loved us. You love us so much, and we thank you for that. And we ask that you'll help us, Lord God, to love you back. Please keep our minds from worldly thought and help us to focus only on you. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray and thank David. Be thy will. Amen. Continuing on the atonement this morning, we're going to 1 John chapter 4. Remember, the atonement simply is the reestablishment of an interrupted or a broken relationship. That's kind of a simple definition for uh, the atonement. We broke it, God fixed it. We couldn't fix it. Only God could fix it. Only Jesus is worthy. Only Jesus could fix this broken relationship. And what God says to us in 1 John 4 and verse 10 is this. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And so, as God's people who have been reconciled and justified, we don't have to worry like the rest of the world does. We have a different kind of lifestyle. In Christ, in our, our faithfulness to our God, we don't have to worry about the ebbs and flows of life because we have an advocate. We don't have to worry about the life to come when we serve God faithfully because we have an advocate as God's people. First John 2, beginning at verse 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. What does being atoned for and receiving the mercy of God actually look like? I want to go back to an Old Testament account and I want us to think about just for a moment what, what this looks like. The Exodus is both frightening and, and calming. The people of God, they cried for help. Exodus chapter 2 is where we'll go first. They cried for help because of the ill treatment of uh, themselves by the Egyptians. And the Bible says in verse 23, Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage. And they cried out, and they cried for help because of the bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groanings, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. But Pharaoh, if you remember, was 
unconvinced. And yet God was neither uh, impressed nor without ever being in complete control. And God knew that. But God brought ten plagues. And you know the account. We're going to just jump to chapter 11 of the book of Exodus and pick up the last plague. And God says in verse 1, Now the Lord said to Moses, One more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that he will let you go from there or from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. God gave his children a command. And they were to be faithful and obedient to that command. And the faithful and the obedient to the command followed and were saved. Chapter 11, verse 3. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. And Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight I am going, to, uh, going into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl, who is behind the millstone, all the firstborn of the cattle also as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before, and such as shall never be again. The great cry in Egypt was so powerful and so frightening, and yet there was this separation between those who were atoned for and those who were not. And I want us to get that this morning. Because regardless of what's going on in the world or all around us, when you are faithful in Christ, you're atoned for. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. It doesn't even matter in reality of what's going on in my particular life in the flesh. Because God has set me apart from everything else. And so the Bible says there was a great cry in Egypt, such as never was before, nor ever will be again. And listen to verse 7, please. But against any of the sons of Israel, a dog shall not even bark, whether against man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Or we might say, based on the lesson this morning, between those who are atoned for and those who are not. And I want us to see that this morning as we look into this uh, text and dive into it just a little bit. The people of God were safe. They were, as we use terms that are found mostly in the New Testament, they were sanctified, they were justified, they were reconciled, they were redeemed. The Exodus is a great picture of God's atonement. Chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. Your lamb, remember last week we said there is no perfect lamb. The only perfect lamb is Jesus. But listen to what God says. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it 
until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they are to eat. I'm jumping over to verse 21 in this account. The Bible says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of, of, of hyssop and dip it into the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts and none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. And let me give you a really silly uh, argument. Let's say we brethren were back in those days. We'd argue about how much blood. <laughs> you know, how much blood should we? Some put, some put too much. Why is he putting so much blood? He doesn't have, he doesn't have enough faith. And then they argue the other folk. And go, well, these folks just put a little bit of blood. They've got all kinds of faith. God never said how much blood to put on the doorpost. God just said, obey me and put the door on the post. In gratefulness, the people of God participated in this night with an entirely different attitude. Because this night was a dreadful night and the people of God found this peace with God. God said the only command after you put the blood over the doorpost is do not leave your house. So they stayed within their home and in verse 23, for the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. Whew. Church, stay faithful to Jesus so that when God sees you Remember last week we talked about being filthy? Doesn't see you without the blood of Jesus. And that's where your cleansing comes from. God says, I'm going to look down there. And I'm going to send the destroyer. And the destroyer is going to come. And the destroyer, the destroyer is going to pass over the house where all the clean people are. What made them different? The blood of Jesus. I know it's the blood of the Lamb in the Old Testament, but it's looking forward to the blood of Jesus. And it was because of the blood of Jesus that those people were viewed by God as being clean and perfect. The redeemed were separated from those who were not redeemed because of the blood. And that is the difference, church. The blood. The blood of Jesus. Verse 29 says, Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn of the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captives who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt for there was no home where there was not someone dead. 
of those who didn't have the blood. How powerful, how powerful is the blood of God? How amazing it is for us, God's people, to be able to stand before God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm turning to Isaiah chapter 1. This was a terrible night. It was a terrifying night. There's a terrifying day coming, judgment day. How many people are standing before God without the blood of Jesus? Without the blood of Jesus, there is no chance. There is no opportunity. Because there is no redemption, there is no salvation, there is no sanctification, there is no reconciliation, there is no justification, there is no atonement without the blood of of Jesus. So when someone says, well, you know, I don't believe in baptism, I don't believe I have to be baptized to be saved, talk to them about these words that we're talking or speaking of. Speak to them about the atonement of our great God. Though there's chaos all around us, even to this day, there are wars and rumors of wars, the people of God are clean because of the blood of Jesus. You just got to be faithful. You, you do your part and serve God and allow God to do the rest. What's the difference between me, if you will, looking at me in the flesh? Last week we talked about the filth. Versus being a child of God. Still the same me, but it's the blood that makes the difference. It is the blood that makes me clean. Although I'm the same old me. It is the blood of Jesus that is the power. It is the blood of Jesus that saves us. God looks at his faithful people and he doesn't see us without looking through the blood of Jesus Christ. That was the purpose of the mercy seat in the Old Testament. But I want us to look at Isaiah chapter 1. The blood of Jesus transforms a filthy sinner into a cleansed saint. Verse 18, listen to the conversation. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins, preacher, are as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool because of the blood of Jesus. Psalm 103. How important is Jesus? No one can be saved without Jesus. And in Psalm 103, beginning at verse 8, listen to what the Bible says. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. We might say, pause, thank you, Jesus. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. He is mindful of the fact that we couldn't save ourselves. 
Zechariah, where we left off last week. Zechariah, uh, the chapter is three. Zechariah came to God and he was, remember what we talked about, Satan was right. There's no question that, that Joshua the high priest was, was filthy. He, he committed all kinds of sins, but it's because of justification and reconciliation and redemption and God's power and atonement that God can say in Zechariah 3 and verse 3 regarding Joshua. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. And he spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. And again he said, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festive robes. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, over and over and over and over again. You might want to say that too. Thank you, God. Exodus, please, chapter 12. And mean it deep, deep, deeply within your heart. Thank you, God, for doing for me what I could not do for myself. But I'll never live in a relationship with the Lord as if God owes me. Because he does not. Jesus is all over Exodus chapter 12, right? You know, that's, that's all about Jesus, isn't it? And that Passover event in verse 26... And it will come about when your children will say to you, what does this right mean to you? I want you to think about the Lord's Supper this morning when our children see us. Taking the Lord's Supper as we make a public proclamation to the world that Jesus died and rose from the grave and that, that he's our Savior. And it means so much to us. Whenever we look at the Passover and say, looking at the Passover, what do we tell our children? Verse 27, that you shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but spared our homes and the people bowed low and worshipped. Now here's a sad reality. I'm going to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Here's a sad reality. That at the end of the age, when Jesus comes back, the world has no chance of going to heaven. Now, I know we don't like saying that, but that's the Bible. But God will save his people. Don't you think you have something to tell the world? We have something to tell the world. We have something to share. Without the blood of Jesus, church, no one can be saved. None of us. And sadly, even for God's people, for those of us who aren't faithful, there's no way to make it to heaven without being faithful to God. It's the blood of Jesus that we're calling on and we're, we're, we're in a relationship. We're asking God, please God, Keep me in a covenant relationship. You can't walk away from God and think, okay, I'm good. You got to stay with Jesus until the end. He's our Passover. First Corinthians 5 and verse 
7. Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. And you, and you know from the Old Testament in Exodus, the Bible tells us that they were not to put leaven in their bread because it wouldn't have time to rise. There was an urgency. There was great haste. And that's why we would take of unleavened bread during the Lord's Supper because of the haste. And think about it, church. Today, individually and independently, each one of us are closer to the grave than we were yesterday. And each one of us are closer to the day when God calls it and says, that's it, it's over. And Jesus comes back. The question is, am I in a relationship with God? That's the question. When John saw Jesus coming, he said, behold the Lamb of God. John 1 and verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, our great God. Behold the Lamb of God. This morning, it's really easy. It's, it's, it's almost too simple, right? What does God say? God says, uh, you must hear his word and believe it. You must have a change of heart, godly sorrow. You must confess his name before men. Be baptized, immersed in water for the remission of your sins and going down into the water. Somewhere in there, you contact the blood of Jesus and God washes all your sins away and then brings you up out of the water and somewhere in that resurrection, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and God sets you apart and you become one of those sanctified believers of Jesus. And then you just stay faithful, right? Stay faithful to Jesus until the day we leave the earth. How do we do that, preacher? Well, you know, we're, we're going to make mistakes and we're going to have uh, situations in our lives and we're going to find ourselves sinning. And Jesus says it's simple. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 through 10, and we'll close. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. It's kind of simple, isn't it? We learned it in kindergarten. If you do something you're not supposed to do, go say, I'm sorry. We just have to say sorry to Jesus. Dear God, I'm sorry. And we might have to go say sorry to someone else, whomever it is that I've offended. So we say sorry to that individual, and we say sorry to God with repentance and godly sorrow, if you will, and, and, we, and God makes it right, and God is faithful and will forgive us. Are there any this morning? If so, please come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation.